Okay, we are doing uh, Sri Sai Satcharita, uh, Chapter 1, <coughs> The Invocation of the Divine. Now, obeisance to Sri Ganesh, to Sri Saraswati, to Sri Guru Maharaj, to the family deity, to Sita Ramchandra, my most humble obeisance, I bow in reverence to the most venerable Guru, Sri Sainath. <coughs> For the smooth, unhindered completion of a work once begun, the wise and the learned sing at the outset the praise of the titular deities and invoke their blessings. By so praising the deities, by making an obeisance to all of them, impediments are sought to be forestalled and the desired goals achieved. Let us therefore bow first to Ganapati, the benign figure of elephant god, with the twisted trunk, the protector of the meek, and the lord and the master of the fourteen branches of learning. Fourteen worlds are contained in your belly, and hence you are called Lambodhara. While in the hand is the powerful sharp-edged sharp axe with which you strike down the obstacles in the way of your devotees. O Lord of the Ganas, O Shiva, O Elephant God, Elephant Face God, I bow to you who assuage the pain caused by the impediments. <coughs> Pour your grace into my utterances, I pray. You are the succor of your devotees. Under your anklets comes rolling all the obstacles. Just one glance from you is enough to drive away all want and poverty. In the ocean of worldly life, you are the ark, the light of knowledge you are, and in the darkness of ignorance, you, O Lord, with your twin consorts, Riddhi and Siddhi, signifying prosperity and success. Look upon me graciously, I beseech. Hail to you, O Lord, who are the destroyer of the woods of, implement, of impediments and whose vehicle is the humble mouse. O son of Girija, O God of the benign countenance, to you I bow. Here do I follow the customary practice of making an obeisance to the titular deities that I may complete my work unhindered and be blessed, blessed with the good fortune. And yet, is not this Sai himself Gajanan and Ganapati who axe in hand will remove the obstacles to the narration of this story? He is indeed Gajanan and Bhalachandra with the crescent moon on his forehead. And he boasts of a single tusk and the elephantine ears. He is the terrible one of the broken tooth and the annihilator of the jungle of obstacles. Most auspicious among the auspicious, O long-bellied Lambodara, O compassion Ganaraya, you are none other than Sai himself. May you lead me to the abode of eternal joy and peace. I now make my obeisance to Goddess Saraswati, the daughter of Brahma. May she be with her art and ingenuity alight upon my tongue, making it her vehicle, the swan. Goddess Saraswati, draped in spotless white, with a tiny vermilion mark on her forehead, holds the Brahma Veena gracefully in her hand as she rides her swan. O Saraswati, look upon me kindly. Unless the presiding deity of the presiding goddess of speech, this mother of the universe is propitiated, even can ever literature or art, verse or tale sit gracefully upon one? And without her grace can I venture to write the story of Sai? This mother of the universe from whom, whose womb were born the Vedas. Verily is she the river of all the glorious learning. May she make one and all drink at my hands the nectar sweet story of Sai's life. It is as if by Sai himself as Bhagavati, as Goddess Saraswati, holds the Omkar Veena in hand and sings his own life story for the deliverance of his devotees. My obeisance now is to Brahma, Vishnu and Mahesh, who symbolizes creation, preservation and destruction of the universe respectively. These are the epitome of Sattva, 
harmony, rajas, motion and tamas, inertia. O self-illumined Sainath, to us you are truly Ganadish and Brahma, Vishnu and Mahesh. You alone are our Sadguru, the boat to ferry us safely across the ocean of life and we your devotees are as travellers abroad aboard the ship and beseech you to guide us to the shore yonder. But for the merit of some good deeds of our past birth, how can we have been so compellingly drawn to your holy feet which have proved to be our sole refuge? I now bow to my family deity Narayan Adinath, who abides in the sea of milk and in the redeemer of all from sorrow, sufferings and pain. While Parshuram forced back the waters of the ocean and created a new land called Konkan, in that land appeared Narayan. Narayan dwells within and rules over the heart of all the creatures, protecting them with loving kindness. It is from him that I draw my inspiration. My obeisance next is to the great sage and my original ancestor, whom Bhargava, that is Parshuram, brought to Konkan from Bengal for the successful completion of the great Yajna, which is ritualistic sacrifice. Bharadwaj, the great among the sages, the founder of my ancestry, who belongs to the Shakala branch of the Rig Veda and who was also the founder of the Adya Gaud Brahmins, to whom to him I bow respectfully. Next I make my obeisance to the Brahmins who are the Brahma incarnate, the veritable gods on this earth. And then I proceed to pay my respects to the great among the yogis, Yajnavalkya, Bhrigu, Parashar, Narada and others. Vedvyas, son of Parashar, Sanat, Sanadan, Sanat Sujat, Sanat Kumar, born of the minds of Brahma, Shuka, Shaunat, the composer of Sutra, Vishwamitra and Vashishta, Valmiki, Vamdev, Jaimini, Vaishampayan and the nine Munis, that is Yogendra etc. I prostrate in obeisance to the feet of all these sages. Let us now worship all the saints like Nivritti, Nyaneshwar, Mukta, Sopan, Ekhanath, Swami Janardhan, Tukaram, Khandova, Narhari and others. For the mention of all the saints by their names, this book will hardly have the space. Therefore, I make obeisance to all and pray for their blessings. Then I bow in respect to Sadashi, my grandfather who was a man of impressive piety and who finding this worldly material life meaningless and empty took his abode at Badrinath and Kedarnath to the end of the days, his days. My father was a worshipper of Shiva and having made Shiva his personal god, always wore Rudraksha bead around his neck. Respectfully, I bow to him. And then how can I ever repay the debt of my mother who spared no trouble bringing me into this world and rearing me? Humbly, I fall at her feet in obeisance. But first, uh, but she stood soon passed away, leaving me a mere infant behind. My paternal aunt, a pious soul, then looked after me, bringing me up more painstakingly. At her feet, I bow my head in great reverence. The love and affection of my eldest brother for me has no parallel. For me, he would have willingly given up his life, but cannot be filled with gratitude as I bow to his feet. As for you, O my listeners, I make my obeisance to you respectfully as I pray for your undivided attention. Unless you are attentive, how can I be happy? The greater the connoisseur a listener is, waiting eagerly for more and more, the greater is the enthusiasm and the verb of the speaker and he goes on narrating. If you yourself are inattentive, then where for this narration? 
Hence it is that I prostrate before you and implore you to listen to this tale with good cheer. Full well you know that I have no profound knowledge of science and literature, nor have I perused any scholarly works or even listened to the sacred stories of saints being narrated. I am aware of my shortcomings too. I am conscious of my unworthiness. It is only in obedience to the Guru's command that I have ventured to attempt writing his life. My own heart tells me that before you I am but a piece of straw, and yet I beseech you to be gracious and accept me with all my faults. And now let us remember our Sadguru and worship his feet with love and devotion, with body, speech and mind. Let us surrender to him who is the mainspring of all wisdom and inspiration. Sweet dish is always reserved to the at the end of the meal. In the same way, the sweet adoration of the Guru marks the end of the invocation of the Divine. Om Shri Sadguru, my obeisance to you, the only refuge of this animate and inanimate creation. You and you alone, O compassionate one, sustains the entire universe eternally. Hiranyagarbha or the golden egg of the Brahma, from which comes the earth, its seven islands and nine continents, the seven heavens and the seven netherworlds, is itself the well-known Brahmanda. The Sadguru dwells far beyond the cosmic illusion which creates this Brahman and which is known by the name Maya or the unmanifest. In trying to describe the greatness of Sadguru, the Ved Shastras become silent. Know that ingenuity or tricks or logic are of no avail here. O Sadguru, you defy all comparisons, for to whichever object you are likened, you have always pervaded it. By virtue of natural attributes, whatever object that eye falls upon is but a form assumed by yourself. Such you are, O Sainath, a sea of kindness, Samartha Sadguru, who can be comprehended only by your own self and are beyond everything, without a beginning or an end, to you I bow. My obeisance to you, O greatest among the Gurus, who are in perpetual bliss, ever content, self-effulgent, home of all auspiciousness, the soul beautiful. In singing your praises, in trying to describe you, if even the Vedas and the Shubhitis have fallen silent, how then will my scant knowledge be enough to comprehend you? Hail to you, O Sadguru, O treasure house of kindness and mercy. Glory be to you, who are Brahma, Vishnu and Mahesh, and Dattatreya, who wanders at will on the banks of Godavari. I bow to you in obeisance. That which is the very essence of Brahma comes only from the Sadguru. With his grace alone, it can be realized. At his feet should be offered the Panchapran, that is the five vital airs, in the spirit of the absolute surrender, bow your head before him in reverence, with your hands press his feet gently, let your eyes gaze into his face intently, and the nose inhale the fragrance of the water that washes his feet. Let the ears listen to the praise of Sai constantly, and keeping Sai's form before the mind's eye, meditate on Sai incessantly. The ties of worldly life will then fall off automatically. With devotion, offer at the Sadguru's feet your body, mind, worldly wealth, everything and dedicate your entire life in the service of the Guru. Only after laborious efforts do rare privileges of Guru Nam, Guru's holy company, his grace and the sweetened milk washed off his feet, Guru Mantra and the opportunity to stay in Guru's abode comes your way.
Great is the power of all these, for they urge the devotee onwards, even without his knowing it, pushing him to the very threshold of moksha. This has been tried and tested by those of single-minded devotion. Guru's company is the pure water of the Ganga, which purifies others, washing away all their impurities. What can be more fickle than the human mind? But even this mind is fixed steadfastly by the Guru at the feet of God. The service we offer at Sadguru's feet is our Ved, Shastra and Puran. Prostrating at his feet is obeisance is to us yoga ritual, sacrifices, penance and all such means of deliverance. The sacred name of Sadguru is our Ved Shastra. Sai Samarth is our mantra or the sacred chant. It is also our only yantra and tantra. Sai takes his devotees to the supreme state in which self-experience bring them, brings them to the conviction that Brahma alone is real and a constant awareness stays with them that this world is an illusion or maya. The highest bliss, the joy of self-realization, the happiness of being one with the Brahma, all this is a tangible tangle of idle words. What we need is an abidingly blissful state of mind. Once this state of mind is firmly rooted and remains constant, happiness, peace and contentment comes to us. And this is the most perfect state one can attain in this life. Sai is a mind of such blissful happiness. Like the ocean, he is complete and full in himself. His devotee is blessed with good fortune and will never want for this supreme bliss. Shiva and Shakti, that is the Supreme Spirit and the Divine Energy, Purush and Prakriti, the Supreme Soul and Nature, Pran and Gati, the vital airs and their motion, the lamp and its brilliance, all these are modifications of the pure Brahma. They are really one, but are considered as different. Brahma does not like to be alone and desires to be many, so says the Shruti. Through the company of others is desired and life yet they all again become one. In the state of pure Brahma, there is neither Purush nor Prakriti. Where the sun shines perpetually, can there be night and day? Sai Baba is essentially beyond attributes and he is without attributes. But for the benefit of his devotee, Sai has assumed a form with the purest of the attributes. I surrender to him wholeheartedly. Those who have sought refuge and protection of Sri Sai Samarth have established, have escaped many a calamity. Thus with the same selfish purpose, I bow my head to the feet, at his feet. Obeisance is to loving Sai, who is really one, but assumes form and duality to experience the joy of his devotee's love and thus sport with them. To that compassionate one, who is the cosmic consciousness in all beings and is the seat of supreme knowledge, who manifests himself through all the animate and the inanimate creations, I bow to him in reverence. O Guru Raya, O Bliss Incarnate, you are my ultimate destination. You alone are my repose, for only you can relieve this pain and suffering of this afflicted one. Now at the end of this pain, and as evidence of the fact that God alone dwells in all living beings, I make obeisance to them all, imploring them to accept me graciously. I bow to all living creatures, may it please that the sustainer of the universe who pervades it through and through and is completely one with it without any duality. 
Here I end the adoration that customarily comes to at the beginning and at the end of the work. It is also for this book, the invocation of the divine and the holy, I shall now narrate the main purpose of this book. Ever since Sai will very kindly conferred his grace on me, I have been thinking only of him day and night. That itself will destroy the fear of worldly life. No more for me the chanting of other mantras, not yet any other penance. I see only the pure manifest form of Sri Sai all the time. Gazing into Sai's face, hunger, thirst, everything is forgotten. What worldly pleasures can stand comparison to it? The trials and tribulations of worldly life are forgotten altogether. Looking into Baba's eyes, one forgets oneself. And as the love wells up from within, the mind is immersed into inexpressible joy. To me, service at Sai's feet is everything, karma and dharma, shastra and puran, yoga and ritual sacrifice, and the performance of prescribed religious ceremonies, pilgrimages, penance, everything. A constant scrupulous adherence to the Guru's word when firmly rooted in the mind and backed by an unswerving faith will bring to the mind abiding peace. Such was the state of my mind, a result no doubt, of my past karma, which fostered in me a growing fondness and attachment to Sai's feet, and I experienced its incomprehensible power. How can I ever describe that power? It is the power from which springs devotion and loving attachment to Sai, which brings renunciation while yet in the worldly life, along with a state of incessant joy. Many are the forms of devotion described variously by different school of thoughts. Briefly and as carefully as possible, I shall now describe their characteristics. Ceaseless meditation on one's real self is the main characteristics of devotion, so say the self-realized Acharyas, who are proficient in the Veda Shastra. To express one's devotion by performing puja is the way prescribed by Vyas, the son of the sage Parashar, and is another form of devotion called Archan Bhakti. Parijat and other such fragrant flowers should be gathered from the garden for the Guru. Then the courtyard of the Guru's house should be swept clean and washed, first by sprinkling water, followed by cow dung wash. Thereafter, one should take bath, followed by sandhya, or prescribed daily prayers. A sandalwood paste should then be prepared for the gods and for the Guru, which is to be applied to them when they are given the ritualistic bath. Lights and incense should then be waved before them. Thereafter, the consecrated food offering should be made and arati performed to conclude the ritual. All this when performed with love and devotion is known as archan. The pure awakened Supreme Spirit in the heart should be invoked in the idol and then the puja should be started. After the ritual is over, the consciousness of the Supreme Spirit should be regained in your heart. Now understand the characteristic of another form of devotion which was advocated by Gargacharya. In this, the mind gets totally absorbed in singing the praise of God through Kirtan. So much so that the mind becomes one with the joyous spirit of Hari Kirtan. To be constantly meditating on the self, to be narrating and singing the sacred stories of the Lord and conforming to one's conduct to the prescribed rules of the Shastra, all the characteristics of the form of devotion described by Shandilya Muni.
Those who wish to advance spiritually will conduct themselves according to the rules prescribed by the Vedas, avoiding all that is either not advocated or prohibited by the Vedas and which is therefore not in their interest. When the mind becomes totally devoid of conceit, so that it is no longer the doer of action, nor the enjoyer of the fruit of action, it is then that it surrenders everything to God. Performing actions or karma in the spirit leads effortlessly to freedom from all action. Karma can never be given up totally by anyone. But what can be given up is the conceit of being the doer of action. A thorn, a thorn can be removed only by a thorn. So also can karma be ended only by karma. With the realization of the self, karma will be overcome completely. Cessation of desire for the fruit of action is the secret of the renunciation of desire for the fruit of action. Performance of the routine and specifically, specially prescribed religious rites and rituals is called the law of pure conduct. To offer all karma at the feet of God, to forget for a moment everything, making your mind totally detached, these very different characteristics mark the devotion described by Narad Muni. Such are the many characteristics, one stranger than the other, but as for ourselves, let us cross the ocean of worldly life safely and quiet untouched by the turbulent waters only by a constant remembrance of the story of our Guru's life. I too developed a fondness and passion for listening to the story of the Guru and was deeply engrossed in his pursuit. For that, I thought I should also write a book about these numerous stories of actual experience and doubtless veracity. It, is, it so came to pass that once while in Shirdi, I had gone to the mosque for Baba's darshan when I saw to my utter amazement Baba grinding wheat. But let me first tell you of our gains in listening to this story. Listen at your ease and then listen to how the idea of writing Sai's life was conceived from the above incident. Describing again and again the excellent qualities of one who is of sacred celebrity and discussing together in company his fascinating stories purifies the mind and brings perspicuity to the intellect. By singing his praises, by listening to his leelas and his stories, one can please God. Sorrows and sufferings caused to us by the threefold afflictions are also warded off. Hence, those plagued by the threefold afflictions, as also those impelled by the desire for self-upliftment and those intent on self-meditation, all such people fall at the feet of saints and are enriched by elevating personal experience. And now listen attentively to this fascinating account of the aforementioned incident and you will be amazed by Baba's kindness and compassion. One day in the morning, after he was finished, he had finished washing his face, cleaning his teeth, etc. Baba sat down at the grinding stone to grind. Scuttled basket in hand, he went to the bag of wheat and began taking out by the brimfuls measures upon measures of wheat into the basket. He spread out another empty sack on the ground, placed the quern on it and knocked its wooden peg firmly into place to prevent it from becoming loose while grinding. He then rolled up his sleeve, tucked up in the folds of his kafani, that is a long robe, and he squatted near the quern with his legs spread out. What is this crazy idea of grinding wheat? I just thought to myself, puzzled as it was. To the pure penniless one, without attachment to material possession, why should there be anxiety about worldly things? 
However, with head bent down, Baba had taken a firm hold of the koan handle and went on rotating the koan stone. With his own hands as if he was crushing, most certainly not weak but all enmity and hatred to a powder. Many a saint have I met before, but here was the only one grinding at the koan. What pleasure would grinding afford him? Only he can understand his strange ways. People watched him in astonishment, but no one dared ask him what he was doing. As the news travelled to the village, men and women came running. The women gasped for breath as they ran. Four of them hastily rushed up the steps of the mosque and seizing hold of Baba's hand roughly snatched the koan handle away from him. Baba began quarrelling with them. But without heeding him, they started grinding all at once. And as they did so, they sang Baba's praises and of his marvellous leelas. Touched by their genuine affection, Baba's mock anger vanished, giving way to tenderness and love, as an indulgent pleased smile stole over his face. All the wheat was ground, measuring full eight pounds, that is four seals. The scuttled basket was emptied and then began thoughts and conjectures, racing wildly through the minds of the ladies. Baba prepares no wheat bread for himself to subsist on arms and is in his actual practice. What then will he do with all his flow? So they argued in their mind. Moreover, he has no wife, no children. Baba is all alone without encumbrances of a home and a hearth or of material belongings. What then should he want from this floor? For one of them said, O oh Baba, O oh Baba is compassion itself. All this sport is only for us. Just see, he will now give away all this floor to us. Presently, he will make four shares in it, one for each of us. They began building castles in the air. But Baba, only Baba can understand his own ways. None other can divine his ultimate purpose. And yet the greed urged them on to loot Baba. When all the wheat was over, the floor was spread out, the koan was put away to rest against the wall, the woman filled the scuttle basket with the floor, all in readiness to be taken to their respective homes. All this while, not a word escaped Baba's lip. But as they proceeded to divide the floor into four equal parts, listen to what Baba said. Are you out of your senses? Where are you taking the floor? Does it belong to your father that you are carrying it away? Go at once to the village boundary and throw all the floor at the side of the brook there. Freebooters all. How they came running to loot me. Was it some borrowed weed that you now staked a claim to the floor? Fretting and fuming in their hearts and greatly ashamed at their greediness, the women in their discomfiture began whispering amongst themselves. But all the same, they at once set out for the village boundary as commanded. No one understood Baba's intentions at first, and the reason for his actions appeared to be beyond one's understanding. A patient waiting was ultimately rewarded by an understanding of his marvellous ways. Later I asked people why Baba did all this, and they said that in this way Baba banished the disease from the village altogether. It was not wheat, but the terrible cholera epidemic that he fed to the quern to be crushed. Afterwards, he got the coarsely grounded floor to be thrown along the side of the brook at the village border. When the floor was thus thrown away, the epidemic was on the wane from then onwards and the days of distress were over for the village. Such was Baba's skillful handling. A cholera epidemic chanced to erupt in the village and this was the mysterious remedy employed by Baba to counter it. The disease was eradicated and once again the village enjoyed peace.
This spectacle of Baba grinding in the corn filled me with admiration and wonder. How does one connect this action to the cause and its effect? How can a correspondence be found between all these? What connection can there be between the wheat and the dreaded disease? It is far beyond one's imagination. I felt that I must write a book about this. Love rose in my heart like the surging waves of the sea of milk. Even as I felt a strong urge to sing in the heart's content of the charming story of Baba's life. Here ends the invocations of God and Goddesses, obeisance to the saints, to the relatives and the ceaseless adoration of Sadhguru has come to a close too. Hemar sings refuse, seeks refuge at the feet of Sainar. In the next chapter, I shall explain to the best of my ability the purpose of this work, person for whom it is meant and its relationship to the main subject. Listen to it, O listeners, at ease. It will also be explained later who this Hemar Pant is, who has composed this Sai Satcharit. So very beneficial both to the listeners and to the speaker himself. Will be to all. Here ends the invocation of the divine. The first chapter of Sri Sai Samarth Satcharit as inspired by the saints and the virtuous and composed by his devotee Hemar Pant. So this ends the first chapter. Tomorrow we will do the second chapter. So... I'll just give you a brief understanding of what this chapter is all about. See, when you begin anything, you have to always begin by invoking Sri Ganesh because Ganapati, as we call him in India, is the lord of removing all obstacles. He removes every obstacle that comes in the way. Now, let us say, for example, the obstacle of you not being able to listen in the dropping of the internet. I mean, these can be obstacles in our day-to-day worldly life. But definitely, that is an obstacle. You are not able to listen into or some sort of an obstacle. So, he has to be always praised first. So, always we put forth the obeisance. We have to touch the feet of Sri Ganesh. Now, Ganesh has been given this special right by all the gods themselves because of a very great I am sure you must have seen this uh, beautiful um, episodes that are there on the television. Sri Ganesh has been given that axe by Parshuram, by the way. So, second, it is Saraswati. Saraswati is the goddess of learning, knowledge. Without her help, we will not be able to read or for that matter, listen or even understand what is being said. These will be only words. So, for that reason, you have to praise her, so on and so forth. Finally, you know, in the end, we have to even praise our ancestors. I am sure you have gone through the whole thing. You have to praise the ancestors because if they were not there, we would not be here. So, it's a simple process. One, two, three, four. There was one mention in, in, the, in between about praising your Kuladevat. Kuladevat is the one which you come from a particular, uh, you know, Kula. That means a particular branch and we also have to give that praise to that branch. In this he has given the praise to uh, Bhargava, you know Bhargava. Now who is Bhargava? Bhargava is the other name of Parshuram. Okay. And he is the one who controls the entire region from Gujarat down up to Kerala. The entire land from Gujarat to Kerala has been reclaimed by him. Okay? 
he threw the axe right up to the end of Kerala. From where the end, wherever the axe landed, the entire land was supposed to belong to this particular region of India. Like that, the entire praises were given to different, 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 different sages, munis, so on and so forth. After that, it is described what are the different types of activities that a person takes up, like the karmic activity, so on and so forth. So, in that, they have described a number of activities, finally ending at Narad Muni, where he describes the devotional aspect. So, that also you heard. Thereafter, in the end, there was a story. The story is about grinding of the wheat in the Kuan. It had, you know, during those times, there was the spreading of different kinds of diseases like cholera, typhoid, you know, Mari as they used to call it. And then thereafter, there was another disease which was plague. Plague used to be caused by rats. I mean, they used to spread this particular disease. And there was a time when cholera had, had become very rampant in Ahmednagar district, where Shirdi is. And uh, nobody could control it. Nobody could control it. Now the sage, what does he do? Sainath, what does he do? He takes the koan. Koan, you have seen the grinding wheel that is there. In ancient time, we used to have at home. Now he would take the, he sat down with the koan and he takes what they said, you know, that what we call in Marathi as soup. Yeah, yeah, chakki. So soup, soup, uh, what uh, <laughs> we used to do like this with it. I don't know what it is called in English otherwise. So you take that and he took it and then he started grinding the wheat. Naturally, you don't expect a saint to do all these kind of things. You will wonder why, why would somebody do this? But this is a strange part which a saint plays. Why does he do that? There are no answers to it. Because we are normally going to see everything from the material perspective. See, if there is a cholera, definitely we are going to eat a medicine which is going to remove cholera. Or if you have a headache, you are going to take some sort of a medicine which is going to remove headache. But you are not going to do something which is not at all <laughs> correlated to this. Okay. So, it is like uh, saying that, okay, fine, there is a problem in uh, Ethiopia. So, here I will just do a tapping over here and maybe the problems of Ethiopia will go away. Uh, it's going to be something very strange. I mean, nobody does these kind of things. But the sage has got a very peculiar way of doing this. What he does is called a sankalpa. Sankalpa. Okay. He puts all those things which are called the diseases, like in this case it's the cholera. He puts those things in that wheat. It is uh, where we do at home, you know, something like that Sankalpa is done at home also. It is also done in the temples when they are consecrating these, uh, you know, um, murtis and stuff like that. Uh, you can take one Nariyal and yes, you can say, you know, Ganesha, please come and sit over here. So, what he does, the sages do. So, what Sainath did was very simply this. He put the Sankalpa of all these diseases that are caused in this particular place inside that wheat. And then he put it inside the Kwan. And then he rotated it and made a mincemeat of it. 
So now you understand how beautifully it was done without anybody's knowledge. And what do the people do? The moment they see the <laughs> grain, uh, the uh, the floor, they think that oh, uh, Baba is not going to eat any which way. What is he going to do with it? <laughs> so that is our nature, you know. We are always hungry for these kind of things. Phuket me kya milta hai? Usko pehle khane ka. So so you know, Baba had a very funny way of talking. I mean, I know this from my grandmother and various other people. You know, if, when I when I speak in a Mumbai language, most of the time you will find that it's very funny to hear those words. Baba used to talk in a language which was literally the roadside language. Okay, he would give galis, you know, like uh, he would give galis of mother, father, everybody, and he never left anybody. He had one big stick in his hand, and if he felt, he would run behind with that person with the stick. Hey, Terry Mark, just think about it. He is talking like this, and he is running with the stick. He would not speak in Hindi but in Marathi, just Marathi he would speak like this and he would call mother, father, everybody over there and give galis. And people were scared of him. One of the instances which I know about is, uh, you know, Sahib Baba what he would do is, he had such long hands. He was called Ajahn Bahu. It's not there in this book but I will tell you. Ajahn Bahu means, Ajahn means very long, okay? Hands, Bahu means hands. His hand, have you ever tried seeing where your hand can rest? It can never touch the knee. His hand would touch his knee. <laughs> it was so long. So it was Ajahn Bahu. So just imagine in those Ajahn Bahu with that long stick and he is running after people. And he was dressed up in that kafni of his, looking completely in a wild man, complete wild man with hair tied and all that. So he sits over there, he is turning the coin and these women are thinking, oh he has nobody to give this. So we will all take it and go away home. How can you think of that? So naturally he gives enough galis to them and says, this is your father's property or what? You think about it, if I am speaking in English, but you speak the same thing. You think about it, he is talking like this and he is telling them, who the hell do you think you are taking my stuff and going away? And he was very funny. And people would get very scared in the way he used to talk. So naturally everybody is scared. And then he tells them, go and Gavacha Veshivar. Gavacha Veshivar means at the, uh, you know, where the village starts, no? Veshi is boundary. Gavacha Veshiwar. So go and drop these things all over the place. What is he doing? He is throwing this disease out of that place. So this is the way he gets rid of it. Now when this was done, Dabolkar. Now the person who has written this book is called, see if you see the name over here on top, it is written Govind. R. Dabolkar. Uh, he is called Hemad Pant. So in the end he says, Na, I am Hemad. Hemad Pant ends this. So Hemad Pant is a person who has written this story. 
Now you cannot write the story without the boss's permission. <laughs> so first he has to give him the permission, then only you can write it. So he says that how the story came about, I will tell you in the next chapter and maybe the chapters after that. But first, the story of the quern and the grinding of the wheat will give you an indication that these are very, very strange instances. Now, whether you call it a miracle or what does not really matter. Nobody, I mean, we all think of these things as miracles. But he's a sage, he's a guru. And Guru's way of doing things are never understood by anybody. Please let me tell you this much. You may think that he is saying some very nice words to you sometimes. Okay, You will find that the Guru will say, Oh, you are such a nice person. You are doing this, you are doing that. You may not even know that he is giving you two tight slaps over there. <laughs> His ways of talking are completely weird. Or someday he will be literally after you as if he wants to kill you, murder you or do something like that. And you will wonder, hey, what is this all about? He wants to, he doesn't like me, he wants to throw me out, he doesn't want me to sit over here. What is he talking about? You will find that that is not the case. There are very hidden meanings in this and as we grow uh, chapter by chapter you will come across these kind of meanings and you will be surprised at what the Guru does, how he does it, how his interpretations are. The reason why I wanted to do an exposition is for you to understand like this particular, the first story that is there, is not, the explanation is not given why it is so. If the explanation will never be given till the end. Similarly, there will be a lot of instances that will be there coming up where again explanation will not be given. So, exposition is required. Little bit of, I have to tell you story why this happens, how this happens. Because without knowing this, you will not be able to understand it fully. So, I think by now you have understood the story of the cholera and how it was eradicated. So, this is what the gurus do. So, that is how, you know, Sainath used to work in a very, very beautiful manner with every individual being over there. So, if you have any questions, you can ask me.